Well, happy Easter again to everyone. You know, it's that time of spring. Uh, if you're up north, you'd kind of get that sense, you know, oh, spring, there's a hint of spring in the air. Down here, spring's been here for a little bit. But, um, but you know, we've all spent time in places where winter is that period of hibernation, so to speak, where life kind of pulls back a little bit and everyone's hibernating, hunkered down in their warm places. You know, kind of a ceasing of activity in nature and plants and animals and so forth. But, you know, with spring, it brings back all that life again. All that bloom is coming. And, you know, it's a powerful time because you you just sense that new life returning to the earth. And, and I think God created that as a symbol of what he wants to do in mankind, what he desires to do in our hearts. I mean, you know, sin came in to the garden with Adam and it's kind of like that ceasing of life happened, but God's purpose is to bring life back to us and give it abundantly. And so Christ desires to do that and um, to bring that fullness of life. And, you know, we can remember the remarkable words that Jesus said to Martha. You know, at that, it was a very sad occasion when he said it at the loss of Lazarus after he had died. And, when he met with Martha, he had already asked her, do you believe that your brother can live? And she said, Lord, I believe at the resurrection he can live. And then Jesus said these words to her in John eleven twenty-five. 25. He said, but I am the resurrection and the life. And he that believes on me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this, Martha? You almost get the sense as we celebrate Easter, Jesus is asking that question still. I'm the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? And if we do, he can come and bring new life. Of course, at salvation, he does that, you know, in our spirits, awakens us to the kingdom of God. But yet this, our journey on earth is a quest to enter into the fullness of the resurrection and the life, if we believe it as he's asking us to, because he wants us to know and experience his power and the power of his resurrection continually flowing through us. And, you know, we're on this topic of preparing for the last days, um, this series. And, you know, if there's anything we need to prepare for the last days, it's resurrection power. We need the power of his resurrection flowing through us uh, you know, it's his plan. It's God's plan in the last days to glorify his church. But to do so, he needs to deliver her, you know, as Israel, deliver her from Egypt, prepare her in the wilderness and bring her into the glories of the promised land. It took a lot of power and displays of the power of God to do so. And I think the journey of the church in the last day is going to closely mirror the journey that Israel took. Uh, unfortunately, I think the church is kind of mired and stuck a little bit in Egypt and, and needs to be delivered and brought forth in great power and brought to his holy mountain and then brought into the promised land through many signs and wonders. And there's many things you could talk about with that journey, but really one of the keys is the resurrection power. God delivered Israel, gave them new life and purpose. 
to cross over the Jordan, to enter into their inheritance. To you know, when they crossed over Jordan, they were set free. When the forty years in the wilderness, all they did was talk about Egypt, 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 what they had there, what they had to give up. But when they crossed over Jordan, that was cut from them, and they were just looking to what God wanted to bring them into. Lord, bring us to that place where we're set free from looking behind us and we can just look forward to what you want to do in us and through us. God wanted to make his people a victorious and glorious people in the land of their inheritance. Now, there's a verse that really jumped out at me as I was reading the other day in Joshua. I'd actually underlined it and put a note by it, and I don't remember doing that, but um, it, it seemed really significant to me as I was reading it. And it, it's in Joshua 5, and it's after Israel uh, has crossed over the Jordan River and, that, and a miracle took place. Remember, if for them to cross over, it was in the time of the flood. And, you know, the Jordan back then, you know, today it's all controlled and stuff, and they have it all controlled in Israel. So, so the Jordan is just kind of a little creek almost. But back then, in the seasonal flood, it would just flood wide, and it would be a strong current, and you, you couldn't really cross over too well, much less an army crossing over. And so, so the miracle God did was that He stopped the waters of Jordan at a city called Adam, which we'll talk about. You know, we'll see the significance in a little bit. And But when the nations heard what God did, this is, this is how it describes it. Joshua 5 and verse 1 says, And it came to pass when all the kings of the Amorites, which were on the side of Jordan westward, and all the kings of the Canaanites, which were by the sea, when they heard the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan from before the children of Israel until, the, uh, until they were passed over, their heart melted. Neither was there any spirit in them anymore because of the children of Israel. I don't know if the if those nations looked at at the Jordan River as kind of the last line of defense. They are, oh, they'll never get past that. They they would it would take them forever to ferry everyone across the flooded Jordan. But then they heard of the supernatural miracle of God stopping the water, and they cross over on dry ground to the other side. They realized they couldn't face this kind of a people with this kind of a God. And so one of the things we can understand is that God is calling us into his inheritance. He's calling us to cross over the Jordan, but it is a supernatural thing. It's not something we can do in our own flesh by ourselves. In fact, flesh has to stay. That, that's the problem. That's what has to be dealt with to cross into our inheritance. You know, the Jordan represents the crucified life of being buried with him in the waters of baptism and being brought out in newness of life. An indication of this is where the water stopped. It stopped at the city of Adam. You know, that's our biggest problem is the nature we inherited from our father, Adam. Right? Because when Adam sinned in the garden, he let sin in to not just him, but his whole line, his whole lineage, which is you and me. We all inherited that. But the cross stops the power and the flow of that nature within us. Praise God for that. And when we're delivered 
We're no longer under its control. We're set free because we're under the control of the Spirit of Christ, at least. That's the only other option. We're, either we're under the control of our nature or we're under control of the Spirit of Christ. And also the first thing Israel did was they came to Gilgal. And that was where that new generation was circumcised. And when that happened, the Lord said, Today I've rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And for us, when God circumcises our heart, he's removing the power of the world and the power of our nature from us. Because then we're set free from the world in our hearts, from its lusts and traps and you know, from the power of the nature within us. And we're set free to follow Jesus wherever he leads us into our inheritance. And those nations, when they saw Israel crossing over the Jordan, they trembled. You see, there's a lesson for us as God's people. There's nothing the enemy fears more than a crucified people. The enemy trembles. They don't tremble just at people who believe in the name of Jesus, but they tremble at those who have been crucified with Christ, who are picking up their cross and following him. Because the enemy knows there's nothing he can do to stop a crucified people. Just like there was nothing he could do to stop Jesus. There's nothing he can do to stop us when we are picking up our cross and following him. Now, as we consider our theme, preparing for the last days, you know, we realize that we need to flow in this power, or rather this power needs to flow through us, you know, the power of the resurrection. And to understand that, I want to look at one of the prophets. We did a whole series on, on him, Elijah, uh, well, on Elijah and Elisha, but you know, I just wanted to consider him and, and some of the, the things that you can see in his ministry or just really one kind of specific time frame. Um, because even though he's an Old Testament prophet, we know he's coming again to prepare the way for Christ. And in one of his experiences during his life in ministry, he saw resurrection power, literally. Because during his time, Israel was experiencing that great drought over three years. God miraculously preserved him by the brook Cherith. He was fed by the ravens. But then, while it was still in that time frame, he was brought to Zarephath where he was cared for by a widow. And the Lord did more miracles. Right, The, the a barrel of meal and the cruise of oil didn't fail. And God was preserving his people that way. And that's a sign, right? That's not a bad miracle to be experiencing in a time of difficulty where we'll, I'm sure we'll be trusting God for that kind of provision in days to come, in the last days, if we make it through there. But there's something else I really want to key in on. And it was a tragic situation as they were coming into it, as they were experiencing it, because that widow's son died. And she had just been trying to be faithful to the Lord. God preserved them. And then all of a sudden, he just dies. And from her perspective, it's like, Lord, what did I do wrong? I just tried to be faithful. I took, I took care of the prophet. I trusted in you for provision. What happened? 
And she brought her son to the prophet because she needed a miracle. And we can read this in 1 Kings 17 and verse 19. And Elijah said, uh, he said to her, give me your son. And he took him out of her bosom and carried him up into a loft where he abode. And he laid him upon his own bed. And he cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, have you brought also evil upon the widow with whom I sojourn by slaying her son? Verse 21, and he stretched himself upon the child three times. And he cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come into him again. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came into him again, and he revived. New life came. And so here it was at Zarephath that Elijah experienced the resurrection power of God You know, the child was dead, but three times he laid himself upon that child. He stretched himself out and he prayed and then God brought him back to life. And, you know, I think this is a picture of what God is going to do literally in the last days. I'm sure there'll be literal miracles of people being raised from the dead. You know, it's a sign. You know, we see that in the New Testament and we'll see it again in the last days. You know, we've heard stories of it here and there, but I think that God is going to make it known that that's how he moves in power. But, you know, even more, that's not really what we want to focus on because that is to be a picture of what God wants to do in the life of his people. You know, we don't need to, to wait for God, people to be raised from the dead to experience resurrection power because the, the purpose of resurrection power is to be brought to newness of life, the life of his spirit. And so God, as we see in this example, is going to come into his church. He's going to restore his people, bring them out of a spiritual drought and give them life. Where they were dead, he'll make them alive. And we can sense this spiritual drought kind of going on today, you know, seeing God move, of trying to find those who are truly speaking for him or or even hearing his voice being used by him. But God is going to break that drought as he did with Elijah. And he'll do it through his resurrection power to bring life to those who are spiritually dead. But there's something we need to understand about Elijah and how he came to this place of resurrection power. What was taking place in that? Because we can consider where God brought him to. He brought him to that place called Zarephath. And, you know, God didn't never did anything by chance in that. He always had a perfect order and how he did things. And, you know, the names had certain meanings. And, and in Zarephath, that, that name means refinement of metals. So that was where they must have been doing some metalworking. Maybe a foundry was there and they were forming tools or uh, doing metalwork. But in reality, God was doing that work in the spirit in his people, you know, in and through Elijah. Now, Elijah had already been tested for quite some time where God had been using him and meeting with him. You know, he was sustained by the brook, fed by the ravens. And now here's a further refinement, a deeper work. But in this deeper work came resurrection life. It's similar to what God did in Job, right? Job went through a certain level of a trial, he passed his test 
And then God took him much deeper, plunged him down into the into a deeper trial. I mean, he, he had a wonderful testimony to start out with. I mean, his family was touched, his his business, so to speak, right? His his wealth. And when all that was taken away, he said, well, I came into this world with nothing. And if I leave with nothing, that's okay. And he said in, in Job 121, he said, the Lord gave and the Lord's taken away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. And that's quite a that's quite a thing when everything's been taken away and your view of God is being tested, but Job held firm. You know, for any of us, that would be a deep trial, <laughs> probably the biggest of our life. I, I'm, I don't know if I would have the same reaction of Job or not. You probably don't know until you're in it and being tested, but God help us. But even in that, God wanted to do a further refinement, a deeper work in Job. Maybe he wanted to get him from the 97% purity to 99.99 to be refined as pure gold. And so we know the story, right? That Satan was allowed to come in again and not just touch things around him, but touch him and his body. Um, but, you know, if you read carefully, that really wasn't the test that was really causing Job to struggle. It wasn't just that he lost everything. It wasn't that he was touched physically in his body. You know, the real test, and I think one of the hardest parts for Job, is that for many months, he did not feel God's presence. He did not hear God speak. God was silent. All he got was his good friends coming and condemning him. Right? Good friends. And Job said this in, in chapter 23 and verse 8. He said, Behold, I go forward, but he's not there, speaking of the Lord. Backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand where he does work, but I cannot behold him. He hides himself on the right. I can't see him. And you get this, the, the idea that Job is doing, he's looking in every single direction and every way he can think of to hear from God. It's probably fasting, praying, going to this wise person saying, can you hear from God from me? Or can... Silence. He was desperate to hear from God, to to get a sense of what was going on, but he was going through the trial of silence. And that was a difficult trial. It caused some reactions to come out of him that maybe he didn't even know would come out, except he went through that. But you know, that's the work of the cross, of God plunging us deeper into the Jordan, deeper with him in his baptism, dealing with motives and attitudes and desires and cutting them away through his spiritual circumcision so that we can walk in newness of life. Now, Jesus said this to his disciples. And so if he's saying it to his disciples, we're saying it to, to all who would follow him. He said in, in Matthew 16 and verse 24, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, I'm mixing two verses there, but sometimes you got to read all the Gospels to get the full picture. You know, in Luke 9, it says, take up your cross daily and follow me. And so there's that, that cumulative experience of being crucified with Christ that Paul talks about in Romans 6. But there's also the daily experience that brings us to that place. 
where every day we lay down our will and we pick up the cross of Jesus and we walk in his way. And Sarah and I always remember a quote we heard from, uh, he was the former attorney general of the United States, John Ashcroft. But I've, I don't know if he was if he was writing a book or giving a speech or something, but in it, he just said this phrase that stuck with us. He said, life is full of many crosses and resurrections. So it's more than just one experience, but God takes us through again and again at deeper levels at different different times. And so there'll be many times in, our, in life where God will say, are you willing to surrender to me? Are you willing to lay this down? Are you willing to follow me through this experience? Are you willing to wait when I'm silent? And all we can reply is, yes, Lord. We have to take up our cross daily and follow him. But in that, God's doing a work. God's refining us like metal is refined. You know, one of the benefits of going through Zarephath is, is that that refining takes place. And, and we're talking about metal there, but, but, you know, and we're also talking about the power of God, the resurrection power. And we know in the natural, power is conducted through metal and best. I mean, it's conducted through other things, but if you want to transmit power, you usually have to have a long wire made up out of metal to transmit that. And iron and steel work okay, but there's a problem with it is that um, we don't use iron for and steel necessarily for electrical transmission lines because they, they have a lot of res, what's called resistance in it. And so we use copper. Copper has very little resistance. And so we use that in all of our transmission lines. And so what Zarephath is doing is removing the resistance to God's ways in our heart so that we can easily just follow him. When he speaks, okay, Lord, I'm going to pick up my cross and I'm following you. When we first come to Christ, there's a lot of resistance in there that he's got to, Lord, why, why are you touching that in my life? I, that's not a bad thing. Or Lord, why do you want me to walk in this way? And so he has to take us to Zarephath. He's got to turn up the heat a little bit, do some refining. And he does that at a certain level. We say, oh man, I passed that test and look what comes next. Oh, we're plunged deeper. But that refining, refining has to take place. Of course, one of the best conductors is gold because when it's refined, it has much less resistance than other metals. Job understood the value of this in Job 23.10. He knew God was doing this refining work because he says, but God, he knows the way I take. And when he has tried me, I'm going to come forth as gold that's been refined. Job was already a righteous man, but God wanted to do a specific work. I think there was, a, there was just a little bit of resistance that was perhaps keeping him from having the full amount of God's power being transmitted through his life. And so God said, well, I'm going to refine him now more to get to that 99.99%. And so gold, you know, 
that's one of the things that sets it apart. It has a very low resistance. It also doesn't corrode. You know, you can find a gold coin that's been buried in the ground for a thousand years. You clean the dirt off that coin, just stuff on the surface, and it looks the same as the day it was buried. There's no, there's no corrosion. And of course, if it starts to corrode, it affects the resistance as well. You know, there are, um, there are metals that, that have less resistance than gold when they're purified. Silver, actually, uh, is a greater co uh, conduit of electricity than gold. But the problem with silver is it corrodes easily, right? I mean, you have silver. Silver is a hassle sometimes because, you know, you keep that as a, as a valuable heirloom. You got to put some elbow work of polishing it and, and getting the corrosion off and so forth. And so they never use that. Even though it, has, it conducts electricity much better than gold, they never use it because it corrodes. And what good is it when people can flow mightily for a time in the Spirit of God, but they don't remain in that? Their lives and their standards start to deteriorate, and a corrosion can come in, and actually it can cause a lot of damage in the natural and in the spiritual. And so we want to cry out, Lord, do that work of consistency and continuance in our hearts so we will continue, but we will remain as gold, that, as, pure, as gold that is purified, an eternal work. And so in these last days, one of the main ways that we can prepare is by coming to that place of the resurrection power of God flowing through us that we become conduits for his power and his life flowing from us to other people to bring sustenance, to bring life, even in times of great trouble, great drought as Elijah was facing, but you know, he was a conduit of God's power and life. People looked at Elijah and said, well, at least there's someone staying faithful. You know, in the last days it's going to be dark, but they're going to look around and see some Christians and hopefully they've walked with God and they've, they have some power. And well, hey, there's someone faithful. And the power flows through them. God's calling us to be one of those. But something else we see is that the resurrection power flows, or it flowed, in Elijah's case, at the death of, of that son. You know, the only way for resurrection life to come is that there's first a death in that son's life, but also in our lives. You know, she need not have feared, though, because God was orchestrating that to display his life. And so God takes us through times. He orchestrates it specifically. And the death has to take place. There's no way around it. You can't have someone come back from the dead without death taking place first. And so God designs our life in situations where there's a spiritual death, where there's a yielding where there's a coming to the cross and being plunged into the water with him and saying, oh Lord, and we leave whatever he wants left there in the depths and he brings us up and he brings new life to us as we rise with him, as we pick up our cross and we follow him. It involves some refining work, a deep work, but in doing so, he will bring us forth as gold so that the resistance to him and his ways has been greatly reduced and removed so that a mighty power can flow. 
And even though the last days is going to be a time where the enemy is given great space and, and power to work, you know what? When they see a crucified people, their heart is going to melt. They are going to fear greatly when a, when a crucified church comes before them, flowing in the resurrection power of Christ. Father, we thank you. Jesus, we thank you that you offered up yourself to us, that you overcame death through the cross, and you're now risen and reigning for us in our behalf. Lord, we just thank you for that. Lord, we recognize the pathway that you're calling us to walk in and to follow you in. And Lord, we cry out for fresh grace and strength and mercy today. Lord, we long for your resurrection power. Lord, we long to see it in the natural. We, lo we long to see your power flow and be displayed. But Lord, even more than that, we want to experience it in our lives and in our hearts. Would you flow afresh in your resurrection power? Lord, we just even give ourselves to you. We recognize there's some things you're going to want to plunge down into the waters and into the depths and, and remove from our hearts. And so we just acknowledge that. We invite you to do that. We ask for grace to surrender to that. Lord, help us to pick up our cross today and tomorrow and the next day and to follow you. Lord, just do that refining work, we ask, that your power could flow freely through us. We ask in your mighty and glorious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Happy Easter.